a very good evening to you. Once again to Sweden Swing here on Max Radio. My name's Howard Kane, Friday evening. Lovely, as always, to be together with you. And what have we got this evening? A bit of Gene Kruber. Some Teddy Wilson. More from Flanders and Swan. A twofer suggestion from Father Sean. But to start off... A little bit of nicer.
Ah, yes, good way to get going. Liza with Willie Bryant and the orchestra, who he, well, uh, one of our, well, across the Atlantic bands, one of the great swing bands or one of the great swing bands you've never heard. Who knows? You're, you might be a big Willie Bryant fan. But uh, across the Atlantic stateside, yes, he was fairly well known, but maybe not uh, an everyday name. Certainly, I don't think he was this side of the Atlantic. In any case, born in Chicago, home of so many great jazz men. And if you've never been, by the way, it's well worth a visit, the old Windy City. Lovely place. It is genuinely windy, I think, at times. Beautiful river going through the middle lake and take a boat cruise on. And some very good jazz clubs. It has to be said. Andy's, I thought, was a very nice, great big band I saw there a while back. And the uh, green the green door, the green room, I'm trying to think of the name of it now. It's one a little bit out of town, which has got a great 30s Art Deco vibe. Uh, that was great fun. I really enjoyed there. Very nice indeed. I wouldn't mind getting back at some stage to sample a bit more Chicago and jazz. And certainly going back in the day in the 20s and 30s, it was a hotbed of jazz um, impresarios and talent coming through the same way that perhaps New York, maybe now more uh, east side, is, is taking that role on the jazz front. But yeah, uh, Willie was born in uh, Chicago and uh, took uh, took uh, trumpet lessons in his uh, early years. Didn't have a great deal of joy on the trumpet, has to be said. His first job in entertainment was dancing in the Whitman Sisters show in 1926. And then he worked in vaudeville for several years. And then in the 30s, he appeared in the show Chocolate Review with none a less personage than Bessie Smith, Queen of the Blues. Fantastic, what a voice she had. Would have been worth seeing her life. And uh, I think she was another one of those characters where I think she came from nothing, came to be a megastar, lost everything, not her own fault, and then made it all again. <laughs> incredible. Um, yeah, not just a great voice, but uh, an incredible woman as well. And then he put his first big band together in the... Uh, Mid-30s, 1934, which at times included a man coming up shortly. We're going to hear Teddy Wilson. Also had uh, the likes of, oh, I don't know, Cozy Cole, Johnny Russell, Benny Carter, Ben Webster, Eddie Durham. Yes, a lot of the uh, brilliant players they went on to be. He was like a sort of young Art Blakey, wasn't he? And they recorded six times that band between the 35 and 38, mid-30s. And Brian did sing on a few of them. And he went on to be an actor and a disc jockey and work in R&B and worked in TV a bit and hosted Uptown Jubilee, which was a, a short-lived, I'm assured, all-black variety show which used to uh, go out on CBS televisions on Tuesday nights. Top marks, 10 out of 10, if you ever saw that one back in the day. Uh, we're going to stay, I think, on the other side of the Atlantic for a bit of this man. Paul Whiteman and his orchestra, and uh, see if you can guess who's on the vocals. Thank you. 
Did you get it? Did you get that one? Were you shouting at the radio or shouting out now? On the vocals, of course, did the trombone give it away? Jack Teagon with Paul Whiteman and the orchestra uh, back in the 1920s, late 20s, I think that would be, or thereabouts. Uh, Jack Teagon, self-taught, of course, um, and so he, like a lot of self-taught people, if, if someone hasn't shown you and told you this is what you can do and can't do, then you just go and do your own thing. And it's quite often the case. I'm thinking one of my great favourites on the modern scene, uh, John Sermon, started playing baritone, and he took up the baritone because back in the day, in the early 60s, it was in a second-hand shop, and it's true. We asked him when we interviewed him. He said, yeah, it was in the shop then. It was bigger than the tenor or whatever, and I thought it was better value for money. So we bought the baritone and sort of taught himself. No one told him he shouldn't be getting some of the high notes he got out of the baritone. He couldn't go that high on the register. He just did it. And so it became known then, it became part of his signature, these high notes. And the same with Jack Teagarden. He developed lots of unusual alternative positions compared to classically trained trombonists and special effects on the instrument. And is often seen as perhaps the most innovative jazz trombone stylist uh, before bebop came around. Pee Wee Russell calling him the best trombone player in the world. And he was, like a lot of musicians, uh, freelancing around. But uh, come the Great Depression, then he was uh, yeah, a bit worried about financial security. Who wouldn't be, frankly? And so he signed an exclusive contract to play with Paul Whiteman from 1933 rather, through until uh, 1938. And that kept him, well, kept the wolf from the door, as they say. Kept him in work uh, with a really well-known big band leader there relative financial security compared to being, I assume, a freelance musician. And then afterwards, in the 40s, joined Louis Armstrong's All Stars and then formed his own band in the early 1950s. Good sound, that, isn't it? Good sound. Yes, we've got a bit of a twofer coming up in a few minutes, and we will 
have a little bit of Teddy Wilson, who we mentioned earlier on. I actually dug one out. You'd think I put these together carefully, wouldn't you? But uh, yeah, <laughs> a little bit of coincidence. Some Bing as well. A bit of that sentimental side of Bing Crosby. But this one's quite sort of sentimental in its own way. I guess we kept this one in the bag from a few weeks back. Marigold, and that's Eric Parkin playing the piano impressions of Billy Mayle. And here's one called The Harp of the Winds. Lovely stuff. One of the perhaps lesser known, I don't know, tunes by Billy Mail. Played there by Eric Parkin. Beautiful touch he's got as well. Um, he's had a life, lifelong enthusiasm, he says, for British composers of the early 20th century, best known 
for my playing of John Ireland, but he uh, does lots of other standard repertory as well, and plays Britain and Bliss and Bax and all sorts of other plays. Got a nice little classical touch to him, hasn't he? Billy Nail himself, I was just reading, I didn't know, he was born on Tottenham Court Road. They're all shops now, aren't they? Used to be all electrical shops at one stage. In uh, 1902, started out on violin, uh, but didn't really like it, swapped to the piano at what must have been a fairly tender age, because apparently, by the time he was seven, he was giving a recital at the Queen's Hall. Yeah, just makes you a bit sort of, why bother, doesn't it? Start, I mean, he swapped instrument and still good enough on his second instrument to be playing at the Queen's Hall whilst he's seven. Yeah, I just keep looking at the saxophone I bought in lockdown and thinking, I'm not going to get to Ronnie Scott's at this rate. Barely mastered a scale yet. More practice needed, but then I'll have to retire. No, we're not going to get anywhere, are we? Anyway, it's hello to Father Sean. Father Sean over there in Ireland. Uh, very good evening to you, Father Sean. Long-time listener to uh, Sweden Swing, uh, both before he retired, when he was working out in the Philippines, and now, hopefully, retire enjoying a happy, peaceful and musical retirement over there in his home country. I'm saying it's your home country. I think it is, isn't it? Yeah. Over in, uh, in Ireland there. Knew the Isle of Man and came here as a, a young whippersnapper, I believe. And around Liverpool. Oh, knows all the area very well. And uh, often drops us a line from time to time, as he did only at the beginning of this month. Hello, Howard, he says. Uh, today, Met Air and our meteorological service announced that July was the wettest on record. I'm sure it's the same in Northern Ireland. <laughs> And since both parts of this island send our weather onto yours, it must be the same in the Isle of Man. You're absolutely right. It was. It was the wettest July on record. Apparently sunshine was still fairly well up, but it was the wettest on record. I, see, I just knew, Father Sean, I, I was getting very grumpy earlier in the year thinking because we had that patch of nice weather, which, oh, it's going to be marvellous when we had, yes, it must have been a good four weeks, I'd have thought, of really pretty much wall-to-wall sunshine, starting in mid-May, through TT practice, through TT week, and off the back of TT as well, pretty much sunshine all the way. But, of course, the first half of that was the back end of spring rather than summer, summer being June, July and August, of course. So, uh, so far in summer, as far as I can see, we've had two weeks of sun and then four weeks of rain, and here we are now into the... 3rd, 4th of August, and it's just raining virtually all the time. How I'm told from uh, people who know more about these things than I that uh, it's going to get better later on, hopefully before the autumn. We'll leave it there, shall we? What does Father Sean go on to say? Uh, <laughs> as they say, he says, it's been a, a Madame a Butterfly summer, un bella di, one fine day. <laughs> yeah, if you're lucky, if you're lucky. Now then, he says, as an idea for a twofer, we like twofers here, two songs that came out shortly before World War II are linked by... I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to play them and see if you can think what links them. Should be obvious enough. Right. Settle back. Get your tea. Here we go. I'm leaning on the lamp. I know I look just like a tramp. Oh, you may think I'm hanging round to steal a car But no, I'm not a crook And if you think that's what I look I'll tell you why I'm here and what my motives are 
I'm leaning on the lamppost at the corner of the street in case a certain little lady comes by. Oh me, oh my, I hope the little lady comes by. I don't know if she'll get away, she doesn't always get away, but anyhow I know that she'll try. Oh me, oh my, I hope the little lady comes by. There's no other girl I could wait for, but this one I'd break any date for. I won't have to ask what she's late for. She wouldn't leave me flat, she's not a girl like that. Oh, she's absolutely beautiful and marvelous and wonderful, and anyone can understand why. I'm leaning on a lamppost at the corner of the street in case a certain little lady passes by. I'm leaning on the lamppost at the corner of the street in case a certain little lady comes by. Oh me, oh my, I hope the little lady comes by. I don't know if she'll get away, she doesn't always get away, but anyhow I know that she'll try. Oh me, oh my. I hope the little lady comes but I did I did bum bum there's no Was there that you whispered tenderly that you loved me? You'd always be my lily of the lamplight, my own lily Marlene. Time would come for roll call, time for us to part. Darling, I'd caress you and press you to my heart And there neath that far-off lantern light I'd hold you tight We'd kiss goodnight My lily of the lamp light My own lily Marlene Orders came for sailing Somewhere over there All confined to barracks Was more than I could bear I knew you were waiting in the street I heard your feet But could not meet My lily of the lamplight My own lily Marley Resting in a billet just behind the line Even though we're parted, your lips are close to mine You wait where that lantern softly gleams Your sweet face seems 
dreams to haunt my dreams, my lily of the lamplight, my own lily Marlene, my lily of the lamplight, my own lily There we go. That's a nice little twofer you wouldn't think of putting together, would you? No, an unusual one. I'm sure you got the link. It was indeed lamplight, or lamps, leaning on the lamppost and underneath the lamplight. Well spotted. A great one there. I can't take the credit for that. Father Sean over in Ireland, well done to you, and thank you for that suggestion. Great fun. An ideal twofer, as he says. And, of course, the first has an alibi connection through the statue of George Formby, famously there in the centre of Douglas. It must be one of the most photographed statues on the Isle of Man, I'd have thought, every time I go past, there's someone sitting next to him or copying his pose or whatever, doing selfies there, something along the lines. Wonderful idea and uh, great, that link. Must go and watch No Limit again, haven't seen it for a long time. And uh, as uh, Father Sean says, plenty of versions of Lily Marlene in many languages recorded by contemporary singers. Well, not contemporary anymore, but... Uh, I'm sure you recognised Vera Lynn. I was going to play um, Marlene and Theatric, but I thought, no, let's do it in English with uh, Vera. Seems seems right somehow for Sweet and Swing. Although I do like Marlene and Theatric, it has to be said. <laughs> and Father Sean ends up by saying, let's hope that one of Noel Gay's songs from Me and My Girl will find an airing before too long in these parts. The sun has got his hat on. Yeah, I think that just might be too good to be true. <laughs>
Hedy Wilson, a wonderful pianist and uh, orchestrator as well. Too good to be true. And uh, no lineup for that, but some, uh, I know he, well, he played with pretty much anyone who was anyone, Benny Carter and uh, you name it, uh, Louis Armstrong, Jimmy Noon, Willie Bryant, all sorts of people he played with. Willie Bryant we heard earlier on, of course, uh, but he got around a fair amount. Too good to be true. Hopefully it's not too good to be true that we will see summer return before summer is finished. That's what we're hoping for in any case. Listening to Sweet and Swing with myself, H, here on Manx Radio. Always a pleasure to have your company. Still to come, and we do have uh, a little bit of the sentimental side of Bing Crosby, jazz in the classics, and some Gene Krupa. What more could you want? What more could you want? In the meantime, a short science lesson, courtesy of Flanders and Swan. The first law of thermodynamics. Heat is work and work is heat. Heat is work and work is heat. Very good. The second law of thermodynamics. Heat cannot of itself pass from one body to a hotter body. Heat cannot of itself pass from one body to a hotter body. Heat won't pass from a cooler to a hotter. Heat won't pass from a cooler to a hotter. You can try it if you like, but you'd far better not. Uh. You can try it if you like, but you'd far better not. Uh. Cause the cold in the cooler will get hotter as a ruler. Cause the cold in the cooler will get hotter as a ruler. Because the hotter body's heat will pass to the cooler. Cause the hotter body's heat will pass to the cooler. Heat is work and work is heat and work is heat and heat is work. Heat will pass by conduction and heat, heat will pass by conduction and heat. Heat will pass by convection. Heat will pass by convection. Heat will pass by radiation. will pass by radiation. And that's a physical law. Heat is work and work's a curse. And all the heat in the universe is gonna cool down. Because it can't increase. Then there'll be no more work and there'll be perfect peace. Really? Yeah, that's entropy, man. <laughs> all because of the second law of thermodynamics, which lays down that you can't pass heat from a cooler to a hotter. Try it if you like, you far better money. Because the cold in the cooler will get hotter as a ruler. Because the hotter body's heater will pass to the whole world. You can't pass from a cooler to a hotter. You can try it if you like, but you'll only look a fool. Because the cold in the cooler will get hotter as a ruler. That's a physical law. Hot. Hot? That's because you've been working. Oh, Beatles, nothing. <laughs> That's the first and second law of thermodynamics. The ever-wonderful Flanders and Swan. Only they, were, I think, would think of putting the first and second law of thermodynamics to music and making it to a comic review number. Yes, amazing, and it just sounds so easy and it's so skilled, the uh, lyrics and the playing, piano playing of Donald Swan as well, of course, uh, which makes so much, and the melding of their voices, it was just a magic combination, taken from their second collection at the drop of another hat, which I think was recorded round about the late 1950s, just trying to see whether the CD has any details on it on the inside, it's probably bound to be hidden somewhere along the line. Um, <laughs> 
Yes, it says since their last season in London, Michael Flanders and uh, Donald Swan have been captivating audiences all over the world with their disarming blend of wit and nonchalant humour. A brilliant season on Broadway, followed by an equally successful tour of America and Canada. Now they've returned to the UK with another hat packed with fresh and devastating material. Those Swanderfiles. <laughs> That's a great name for fans of Flanders and Swan, isn't it? Swanderfiles. Those Swanderfiles who've had the fortune to see the new show at the Theatre Royal and Haymarket will find that some items are missing from this disc. I'm afraid they'll have to make do with the bestiary of Flanders and Swan, which contains, amongst other items, the ostrich, the sloth and the armadillo and wampum. And that's in this boxed collection as well. We'll play one or two from there before we uh, put this boxed set back on the shelf. I've been enjoying those very much. I hope you've been enjoying them as well. But we're not going to leave the animal theme as it happens. Uh, because I think last week, if memory serves correct, I said in Jazzing the Classics, we would have The Flight of the Bumblebee by Harry James and his orchestra. So, um, windows closed, bees at the ready, here they are. <laughs> And that is pretty fine trumpet playing, isn't it? Or corner playing there. Incredibly nimble fingering, as they say. Harry James uh, on trumpet. It was trumpet, I thought it was. Andy's orchestra. The Flight of the Bumblebee, of course. Rimsky-Korsakoff. And, um, yes, um, just looking at the line-up there, it is actually Harry James himself taking the uh, starring role there as the slightly animated bee. And then we also have uh, Claude Bowen and uh, Al Streams on uh, trumpets as well and the likes of Claude Lakey on trumpet and saxophone and yeah a whole host I won't give you the whole lot suffice to say darn good I thought didn't you <laughs> I'm not quite too sure I could get my fingers to move that quickly Gene Kripper 
Uh, I found this one lurking around. I think it might have featured a while back. Got a couple of new ones came through from uh, our friends at Avid quite recently, which I thought would feature nicely here on Sweet and Swing. So I'll uh, be digging those out in the next week or two. Not going to tell you who they are, uh, partly because I think it'd be a nice surprise and partly because I can't actually remember. Anyway, for now, though, I can remember this is going to be the Gene Krupa Trio. And let's have a bit of boogie. How about that? And of course, being Gene Krupa, what else would it be but a drum boogie?
Ah, that's the way to do it. Gene Krupa and his trio from the album, the Gene Krupa Trio Collates. And that was a drum boogie. Charlie Ventura on tenor and sounded like on baritone there as well, surely. Teddy Napoleon at the piano, that's a great name. And Gene Krupa, of course, at the drums. And uh, looking at the original notes from the 10-inch LP, it said the Gene Krupa Trio, by any standard, is one of the most exciting and musical small groups to appear in years. The idea of reuniting Gene's trio, which first reached fame with the Krupa Big Band of the 40s, was a very happy one. It was success from the start. Gene's drumming, never better. And he swaps musical ideas with Charlie Ventura's saxophone and Teddy Napoleon's piano like the master he is. The trio, the trio is truly three men, but with a single musical thought. And it's good every time. Well, I'm not going to disagree with that. Very good indeed. Enjoyed that one. A uh, bit of bing. Yes, uh, we played a little bit of this a while back. The world of Bing Crosby on the sentimental side. Is all Bing sentimental? I don't know. It's, it's all sentimental to me because it brings back memories of Christmas and the old maestro and when I was a kid growing up because Bing would never be a million miles away from the stereogram. So, yeah, instantly brings me back there. And I'm sure I'm not alone in those sort of thoughts and linking Bing and Christmas. But, you know, Bing's too good just for Christmas, isn't he? Here he is, a man and his dream. Sometimes it borders on fantasy And sometimes I find Visions flash through my mind Close to reality Night, the soft guitar A hidden lane a moon, And here and there a star For a man in his dream Night, a cricket's cry A whispered word, a kiss And now and then a sigh For a man in his dream And their eyes, when they meet Seem to say it's sublime, and their hearts proudly beat to a tune that is older than time. Night must fade away, and yet it leaves a love, so all the world will say. There's a man and his dreams And their eyes when they meet seem to say it's sublime and their hearts proudly beat to a tune that is older than time. 
Big Crosby songs. I'm not that familiar with it. A Man and His Dreams. Definitely sentimental, though, on the sentimental side. And uh, always dreamy. Bing. Always dreamy in my mind, in any case. Lovely one, that. I'll keep that in the bag, and we'll dig into that one again. The world of Bing Crosby on the sentimental side, with all sorts of one. The funny old hills and east of heaven, and go fly a kite and all sorts. All the ones you might not have heard for a long time, if at all. For every Bing Crosby song that you hear regularly, there's another ten that very rarely get an airing. I like his early version of um, I'm an old cowhand. Always a goodie. How about some Sid Lipton? He's not been on for a while, have we? Sid, Sidney Lipton and his orchestra. You made me care. <laughs> Thank you. 
Very nice too. I think that was Celia singing on that one. I was just trying to look to see if it lists the vocalist, but uh, Sydney and Celia Lipton, you made me care. And sometimes they have the notes on some of these and sometimes they don't. And sometimes the print is so small you can't actually read. Oh, that's right. Good. I'm getting better. It was indeed Celia Lipton. His daughter, of course, went on singing for quite some time. Sid himself, yes, yes, another child prodigy, would you believe? Started on the violin at the age of seven, but then uh, disaster struck. Uh, he was hoping to have a career, you know, maybe in the concert hall, but then he folded a deck chair clumsily. Remember those deck chairs? They used to be man traps, didn't they? All woman traps. And he severed the tip of his left index finger. There was not a lot of money in the family. They couldn't patch it up or whatever. He needed to work, so... Uh, a concert career out of the question. He started working after school hours in the cinema and theatre orchestras and at 17 turned professional with the Murray Hedges Quartet at Edinburgh's Palais de Danse. A long way from where he was actually born in the east end of London, but it gave him some good experience. And then they came south to the Regent Ballroom at Brighton where they played opposite Billy Cotton. And as well as uh, Sydney, on, Sydney on violin, they also had the likes of John Ferry, uh, sorry, Joe Ferry on trombone and Clem Barnard on the piano. And then Cotton went to Southport for a season and he asked the three of them to join him. <laughs> but Sid uh, refused to go. He'd been offered the leadership of the local Southport band, which included the pianist Dave Kay, who later went on to uh, work with the Harry Roy's Tiger Ragamuffins. So when the job at Southport eventually ended, Sid returned to London to join Ambrose for broadcasts and recordings and such like. And Billy Cotton then, being the old softie he was, Offered Sid his old job back with no hard feelings in regard to the Southport disagreement and Sidney Lipton started his recording career proper for Cotton's London Savannah Band at the Astoria Ballroom in Charing Cross Road. And in 1928 he stayed with Cotton when the band went to Ciro's Club. But uh, then he thought there was too much touring involved, especially for a married man as he was then with a young daughter, Celia, uh, not knowing, of course, that a short time later she would, of course be singing with him. Funny old thing, life, isn't it? Well, there we go. That about wraps it up for another session. Hope you've enjoyed it. Howard Kane at manxradio.com. If you fancy dropping me a line, love to hear from you anytime with any ideas or thoughts. Look after yourselves. See you next week. Cheerio. 